0: Back on January 25th, 1736, I know that was a little bit before our time, John Wesley, this is before he put his faith in Jesus Christ, was aboard a ship crossing the Atlantic Ocean. He wasn't alone on this ship, it just happened to be there was a group of missionaries uh, traveling as well. And that ship had been battered by three storms And now they were in a fourth storm, which was more powerful than the other three. And the ship itself was on the verge of sinking. Well, Wesley was petrified. And he scribbled in his journal, Storm Greater Afraid. By contrast, the missionaries had turned the below deck into a praise and worship service, kind of like we had this morning. (laughs) Man, that was good, wasn't it, friends? Huh? Oh, man, we would just uh, just thank all the the worship team, the uh, media team, the greeters, the teachers, the volunteers. Man, thank you so much. Well, anyway, they were having a praise and worship service on the bottom of the ship in the middle of a storm. Graves were crashing over the ship and they were singing away. (laughs) Wesley kind of peeked at these missionaries and their families. He's wondering, how in the world can they be so composed, man? What what do they have that I don't have? So after the storm, Wesley went up to one of the leaders and he said, weren't you afraid? And he said, no. How about your women and children? Were they afraid? He said, no. Well, That really impacted John Wesley. It got his attention. He realized they had something he did not have. And he went on a journey pursuing Christ. In fact, two years later in 1738, he found genuine faith in a church gathering in London. And as you know, John Wesley became a pillar in his faith impacting the world. Ladies and gentlemen, you and I have an opportunity in the middle of a storm, and we could say our culture is in the middle of a storm right now, and you can choose to lean towards fear or you can lean towards pressing in with the Lord and spending time in His presence consistently will allow you to be the light and the example that Jesus really is encouraging each one of us to be. We we need to be promoting Him well, and this is not a time to be compromised, to dilute your faith a little bit in the world, a little bit in with the Lord. Listen, friend, you will, you will be crushed in the storm of life. You need to be all in with the, with God. And um, today we want to go back to the book of Philippians and see what Paul has to say. And if you have your Bibles and your notes as well, Philippians chapter 2, We're going to pick it up uh, in verse, um, well, let's back it up to verse 12, since we have so much time this morning. (laughs) Dear friends, and uh, if you remember, that's a very loving word in the Greek, dear friends, dear beloved, agape, you always followed my instructions when I was with you. And now that I am away, it's even more important, work hard to show the results of your salvation, obeying God with deep reverence and fear. For God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. Friends, that's that's something that's got to be highlighted in your Bibles. You underline it, whatever, put arrows all around it. God is working in you. You're not living this life for Christ on your own. He is working in you, not only working in you, he's given you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. You want to have a life that's got purpose, that has meaning, this is it right here. Live to please God. Man, when you put your head on the pillow every night, you have some sweet rest right there. So we're pressing on, do everything without complaining and arguing. Notice, God's working in you. Now Paul transitions out of that, how we need to be living. Do everything without complaining and arguing so that no one can criticize you. What's Paul saying? People are watching you. Just like John Wesley was watching these believers on that ship in the middle of a storm, you are being watched whether you want to be watched or not. I know we live in America and we can vote, I don't want you to watch me, but that's not going to matter to people. They're going to watch you anyway. Something to get excited about. Live clean, innocent lives as children of God, shining like bright lights in a world full of crooked and perverse people. So Paul is saying, as a follower of Christ, this is how we should live. Why? Because we're living in a crooked and perverse world. Hold firmly to the word of life. Then on the day of Christ's return, that's another good point. Jesus is coming. Paul's recognizing that on the day of Christ's return, I will be proud that I did not run the race in vain and that my work was not useless. But I will rejoice even if I lose my life, pouring it out like a liquid offering to God, just like your faithful service is an offering to God. And I want all of you to share that joy. Yes, you should rejoice, and I will share your joy. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you. As we've already heard from Jeff and the Gideons distributing Bibles all around the world. And here we are at Life Church, people watching online, the privilege we have to open our Bibles to read it. And today, Lord, we don't want to just read it, we want to apply it to our lives and obey it. Help us do that. All we can say is it's been very, very good to be with you already. You've opened our hearts, Lord. You've helped us to be receptive to what the Spirit of God is saying. Help us to be intentional about staying engaged as we study your word. In Jesus' name, amen. So... This is the first Sunday in June, and, and since we've been going through the book of Philippians, uh, f- uh, the first Sunday of the month, we bring George back out because we know that during the last few weeks, there might be some new people that um, haven't been. They don't know who this dude is. I'm going to tip him a little bit over here so you can see him. Hi, George. Good to see you again. Yeah. So we have George, Frank, who else? Pete. That's right, man. (laughs) They're on a rotation. That's right. And um, we'll get more into George in a minute. We realize that Paul had one time been Saul, and he was a persecutor of the church. Think about that. You talk about a miracle, huh? If I was a Christian, I'd say, God, take care of that Saul dude, man. He's, he's tormenting your church. He's tormenting my family. Get him out of here. Blow him up, whatever you want to do. Does God do that? No, he blows him off the horse, gets his attention. Ultimately, Saul puts his faith in Christ and becomes Paul. And here we are. <laughs> now he's under house arrest in Rome Um, writing this letter to the church at Philippi. Philippi is a a city in the country of Greece, and um, Paul realizes that uh, even though he's under house arrest and he is chained to a Roman praetorium guard, These praetorium guards were the elite uh, part of the Roman military of the day. These guys were very influential. Every single day, George would be chained like this to Paul. And if you haven't heard, it wasn't a 10-foot chain, it wasn't a 6-foot chain, it was an 18-inch chain. So one end was chained to the Praetorium Guard, and 18 inches away, Paul was chained to him 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. I don't know about you, but it'd be tough to keep your joy in an environment like that, don't you think? Or would you have an easy time with it? Hmm? It'd be challenging. And so here, we could could say, Paul, you have every excuse why you could become angry, bitter at God. You know, here you are uh, telling people about Jesus and your reward. You get chained to a Roman guard. But Paul, instead of feeling sorry for himself, he's fired up. He's fired up because he gets to tell George and Pete and Frank and all their buddies about Jesus. Every six hours, a new, a new dude comes in and he gets to tell him. George goes into the locker room and he says, man, this Paul, I can't, you know, he's talking about Jesus. You guys, what do you think about Jesus? You know, so there's kind of an explosion and a fusion of the gospel with the praetorium guard in Rome. There would be no other way for that to happen. Paul couldn't send out an invitation, go on television, send out an email, send out a text, and say, hey, Praetorium Guards, let's go to the Colosseum, and I'm going to teach you about Jesus Christ. How many of you think these guys would show up? Not many. Not many. So God, because he loves people, puts his man in under house arrest on purpose, because God wants these men to hear about the gospel. I don't know about you, but that really gets me fired up. Yeah. Huh? Yeah. yeah, man. God loves somebody that much. God loved Saul so much, he knocked him off the horse so he could be attached to a Roman guard. Why do you think God has you breathing air on this planet right here, right now? Well, you're not chained to a Roman guard, but he wants you to tell others about him. Right? Right? On purpose. God has you strategically placed on purpose to, to let the light of Christ shine in and through you. So, I don't know if you're struggling with joy in your life right now. I just want to encourage you to read the book, this letter of Philippians. It only takes you 17 minutes to get through it. And if you follow Paul's advice and example, See what happens. Huh? Do we see what happens? And um, a little background on this. Paul was on his second missionary journey. Let's pull up the map, Uh, Caleb, just for fun. Everybody likes maps. You have maps in your Bibles on the back end. Um, So Jerusalem, Paul's second missionary journey, and he ends up at Philippi. This is Greece right here. And um, let's go to the next one. Rome's over here. So he's under house arrest and 800 miles away is Philippi. So it's been 10 years since Paul has been in Philippi. And he's writing this letter because he has a real passion for these people. He loves these people. You can go to the book of Acts in chapter 16. You find a little backstory to what we're reading right now. So, um, but let's, just for fun, just for fun, should we? Yeah. We're in church. <laughs> let's back up to Philippians 1, 12, Paul is feeling sorry for himself. Listen to what he says. <laughs> and I want you to know, dear brothers and sisters, I'm depressed. It's not in your Bible. It's not in mine either. It was just a misprint somewhere. That everything, what's everything? Everything. Everything, <laughs> Man, you see what happens when you come to church? You, you just, you know stuff like that. <laughs> you know, why would you want to miss that? That everything that has happened to me here has helped to spread the good news for one, everything, everyone here, including the whole palace guard, George and company, knows that I am in chains because of Christ. And because of my imprisonment, most of the believers here have gained confidence and boldly speak God's message without fear. So, is Paul feeling sorry for himself? No, he's fired up. Yeah. He, he says that it is so cool, it is so cool to be able to tell the Roman guard about Jesus. Yeah. I love it, he says, I love it. Number one in your notes, Um, Paul is transitioning now after um, really giving the example of Jesus and how the the church of Philippi should follow his example. And now he's he's bringing it into practical terms. What does that look like to model Christ? Well, here's point number one. We need to taste our words. Verse 14, do everything without complaining and arguing so that no one can criticize you. Do everything. That word do in the Greek means it's to be done continually. Continually. Not when you feel like it, you know, not when you get the gospel goosebumps, but you do it continually in the good, the bad, the rough, the good times. Do, do. Should we start a do club? <laughs> <laughs> do Lord, oh do Lord, oh do remember me. Remember that song? Oh, you Sunday school buffs. Yeah, man, I remember that song. Do Lord. Do everything without complaining and arguing. Complaining uh, this is referring to a bad attitude. How many of you have bad attitudes today? Some of you may come in here today. Some of you might watch, be watching today. You have a bad attitude, man. You know, I don't want to be here. My mom's making me watch on TV. You know, whatever. But this attitude, uh, what, what does that look like? In the Greek, it expresses constant grumbling. Grumbling. To yourself, it, it, it's it's a muttering in a low voice. Uh, it's a low tone. It's an undertone. It's under your breath. You're not vocalizing it loud enough for somebody else to hear it, but just you. But know, you're just mumbling to yourself. Good or bad attitude? Bad. It's a bad attitude. You're mumbling. You're not happy. You're grunt. Did Paul do that? No, Paul didn't do that. Paul's saying, I didn't do that, and you shouldn't do that. That's why he says, do everything, and everything is everything. Do everything without complaining. That's why you have to taste their words. So we're, we're doing it on the undertone, and remember, we're the light of the world. Remember the missionaries on that ship? With John Wesley, were they mumbling, God, we're going to go on the mission field and we're on the star, man. No, they're singing praises to God. <laughs> mm, mm, mm. Onward, Christian soldier. That's probably what they were singing in the bottom of the ship. They were, again, fired up. How attractive is a Christian that's mumbling does that make people in the dark want to come into the light no it's bad it's bad friend Paul recognizes that it's bad advertising and he's writing to the church at Philippi because maybe they're thinking about grumbling and under their so there's a man driving a car came to an intersection He had to stop for the red light, and he stopped. There was a lady driving behind him, and she stopped behind him. When the light turned green, the man didn't see it turn green because he had his face down in his cell phone. You know, that's very important see what's going on on Facebook. And so the lady behind him got irritated. She started honking her horn, you know. And the man still, even though she was honking, the man didn't budge. He had his head down, you know, at his phone. The lady kept honking, and now she rolled her window down, yelling, and still nothing happened. Didn't get the guy's attention at all. He's still looking down at his phone. And just as the light was changing to yellow, the man then looks up and sped through the intersection before it turned red. And the lady, she couldn't get through the intersection because the light was red. She was fuming, fuming. She's yelling now out her window that's rolled down, and she's giving a certain gesture (laughs) out the window. Yelling and choice words, and she's doing this with the left hand and pounding on her steering wheel with the right hand. Mm. Just then, she happened to look out her window. And there was a police officer. He said, ma'am, I'd like to see both your hands up in the air. Um, I'm going to open the car door and I want you to come out with both hands up and get out of your vehicle. And she gets out and the police officer puts her arms behind her in handcuffs and he takes her to the police station and she's put in a jail cell for two hours after that time, the same police officer came back and let her out, and he said, ma'am, I'm very sorry for the misunderstanding, but you just have to know that after watching you and hearing you rant and rave, seeing you go through all those contortions, I also noted, uh, noticed on the back of your car, what would you do, Jesus do, bumper sticker? The little crumb fish that was on your trunk And the follow me to church license plate holder around your license plate. Naturally, I assumed that you had stolen the car. (laughs) It only makes sense, doesn't it? Huh? Hey, if you call yourself a follower of Christ, if you got that stuff all over your car, you better. well, we know the message on the back of that car was different from the message coming from inside the car, don't we? Hmm? Was that good advertising? No. No, it was not. The world is watching. They are watching. And which one are they going to believe? The complaining, mm, the mumbling under you? Mm, mm, mm. Or you ought to follow God because he loves you, you. Which one are they going to choose? Hmm. So... Next, Paul says, without complaining and arguing, arguing is when you take it up to the next level. You take it from under your breath, and it becomes a conversation. You just can't contain it anymore, and you just dump on people. Ah! (laughs) You argue. Now you're telling everybody what's wrong with everything. Yeah. 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 Arguing takes place when our complaining moves from our heart to our head and then out our mouth. And somebody has said this happens as we pass around our poison to others when our silent grumbling turns to open arguing. That's easy to happen, isn't it? And so why is complaining and arguing harmful? Well, first of all, Paul would say it's opposite of Christ's attitude. It is. Which is what we're supposed to be following. They hurt Christ's cause among unbelievers, and so uh, that's that's the problem. This arguing and complaining. There were a group of monks at a remote monastery, and they vowed that rigid vow of silence. And their vow could only be broken once, and it was at Christmas by only one monk, and the monk could only say one sentence. One Christmas, Brother Thomas had uh, his turn to speak, and he said, I love the mashed potatoes we have every year with the Christmas roast. <laughs> and then he sat down, and there was silence for the next 365 days. <laughs> and the next Christmas, Brother Michael got his turn, and he said, I think the mashed potatoes are lumpy, and I truly despise them. <laughs> And once again, there was silence for three in sixty five days and in Christmas, Brother Paul stood and said, "I'm fed up with this constant bickering, and he sat down <laughs> We don't have the luxury of only saying one thing a year, do we no we We like to unload a little more often." Paul is saying, hey, um, this is really a command form. Do everything without complaining and arguing so that no one can criticize you. Why? Because people are watching and people are listening. Let's bring it down to a very practical level. What about in your house? Hmm? What's that look like in your house? Paul didn't say, oh, unless you're living in your house, you know, you can just let it fly. No, no complaining, no arguing, everything, you know. It's a good place to start. What's it look like in my house? Because I'll tell you this, your kids are watching. They're taking notes. They sure are. And I get it. You know, we, uh, we're We're human. And I can tell you that I've had to apologize to our children over the years, you know, when I did not follow this verse. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Because our children, Hear you at home and then they hear you at church and they hear you through the week and they see if it all lines up at the end of the day. So, how's that working out for you? Number two. Be a positive influence, Paul says, verse 15b live clean, innocent lives as children of God, shining like bright lights in a world full of crooked and perverse people. That word crooked in the Greek means it reads scolios, which is where we get our word scoliosis. It's a medical condition of the bending of the spine where your body can't support the weight of your body. Paul is saying that we're living in a world that is morally bent, spiritually deformed. It's unable to support the weight of life. It's a strong word Paul chose, crooked, crooked. And any adds, and perverse. The word perverse means to twist and turn. We live in a twisted, morally contorted world, don't we? Hmm? Jesus himself said in Matthew 17, 17, you faithless and corrupt people, how long must I be with you? How long must I put up with you? And This may come across wrong to some of you, but I I believe it, that as a follower of Christ, we have a responsibility to know the condition of the world we're living in. It's easy to put your head in the sand and say, I can't, I don't want to deal with all the evil, but we need to keep a pulse of where the world is at. It helps to see where people are coming from as well. I'm not saying you have to model their behavior. I'm saying get a pulse of where the world is at. Because I think it will help you spiritually in the long run. Some may say, well, there's news fatigue. I, I, I just get burned out on it. But I I say quite the contrary. We need to know. We have a responsibility to know the kind of world we're living in. Again, not participating in the crooked, perverse world we live in. No, no, no. But to know. In 2 Timothy 3, um, Paul says, you should know this, Timothy, that in the last days there will be very difficult times, very difficult times. For people will love only themselves and their money. They will be boastful and proud, scoffing at God, disobedient to their parents and ungrateful. They will consider nothing sacred. They will be unloving and unforgiving. They will slander others and have no self-control. They will be cruel and hate what is good. Are you seeing that today? I, I think so. They will be, betray their friends and be reckless, be puffed up with pride, love, pleasure rather than God. They will act religious, but they will reject the power that could make them godly. Stay away from people like that. What Paul is writing there is stay away from people like that. In other words, don't hang out for extended periods of time with people like that. Because we all know it, who you hang with will be what you become. And so you need to be wise on who you hang with most of the time. But, and Jesus said in Matthew 24, when the Son of Man returns, it will be like it was in Noah's day. See, if, we, if, you, if you're not keeping a pulse on our culture, you won't know that. And because we know it, if you keep a pulse, you know that it is like the days of Noah right now. In those days before the flood, the people were enjoying banquets and parties and weddings right up to the time Noah entered his boat. People didn't realize what was going to happen until the flood came and swept them all away. That is the way it will be when the Son of Man comes. So you too must keep watch, for you don't know what day your Lord is coming you also must be ready all the time for the Son of Man will come when least expected. Do you know the pulse of our world right now? Because we're right there where Jesus said, as in the days of Noah. But here's the thing, when Jesus saw people, he saw them with compassion, like sheep without a shepherd. And if people are left in spiritual darkness, there will be eternal consequences for their rejection of Christ. And Jesus did talk about outer darkness, and he did talk about weeping and gnashing of teeth. He did talk about that. But here's the deal. What animal... Here's a quiz. You ready? What animal... In the Bible, does Jesus say we're most like? Right there. Aren't you glad? Oh, give me a home where the sheep roam. No, that's not it. You ever been scared by a sheep? Anybody? Maybe when you were counting sheep when you were sleeping? They, <laughs> a stampede of sheep? They terrorized you. You ever see a, a sign, beware of sheep? No, no, I haven't seen that. You may know there's a new trend at the animal shelters. It's not dogs now, this is my guard sheep. Sick them! <laughs> no, no. No. Um, Jesus said in Matthew 10:16, Look, I'm sending you out as sheep among wolves, so be as shrewd as snakes and harmless as doves. So Jesus is saying sheep should be our temperament. That lady behind the dude at the intersection, was she a good sheep? No. No. That's the point that Jesus is making. That's the point Paul is making. We're to be like sheep, not wolves. And that's why God has you right where he's at to be a positive influence. And the question is, are you? And if not, why not? And I believe that the spirit of God has been maybe nudging each one of us in areas that maybe we need to be aware of, that we've been sliding into the abyss of wolf territory instead of staying with the sheep. Lord, we want to represent you well. We do. We want to be like John Wesley on that ship where your people were singing cool songs to you in the midst of a storm. Help us do that, Lord. Help us, Lord, to be patient when somebody doesn't get through that intersection we want. May we represent you well. And may we represent you well in our homes. In Jesus' name, amen. Father, thank you for our time together. Thank you, Lord, for this encouragement that Paul gives. And Lord, may we know the seasons, the times that we're living in. Because we do know that this time is short. And it's imperative that we live for you, that we're all in with you, Lord. We thank you once again for the Gideon ministry, your word going out. We thank you for your word that we have, that we can read it daily, apply it to our lives, and carry that light to a watching world. May we do it with integrity. May we do it modeling after you, Lord. Forgive us if we have become selfish and arrogant and proud, not making it a priority to model the character of Christ well. So help us, Lord. We need your help. You're giving us the desire and the power to live in a way that pleases God. We thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand.